KXNO Des Moines. Now, today's biggest stories from the BMW of Des Moines Sports Desk. This is an X's and O's update on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And I'm Trent Condon. Iowa football's incoming freshman recruiting class just got smaller. According to a report from Hawkeye Reports' Blair Sanderson, Michigan defensive lineman Jalen Hunt will not be enrolling at the university. Hunt didn't qualify through the NCAA Clearinghouse and will head off to Iowa Western and have to graduate from the junior college before transferring to a D1 program. Hunt picked the Hawkeyes over offers from Michigan State, Missouri, Boston College, Louisville, and Kentucky. Prize pitching prospect Adbert Azale has got the call up to the big leagues from the Iowa Cubs. Left-hander Tim Collins was designated for assignment to make room for Azale. To baseball from yesterday, and the Cubs jumped on Lucas Giolito early. The call from the Cubs TV network, Contreras added another home run in the game, his 15th of the season. It took 11 innings, but the Cardinals walked it off against the Marlins. Goldsmith with a drive, and let's go home. Get into Big Mac land. He launched it. It's over. 2-1 Cardinals. That one he kept fair. We're out of here. 14th home run of the year for Paul Goldschmidt on the call from Fox Sports Midwest. MLB for tonight, it's the Cubs hosting the Mets. Tyler Chatwood gets the call for the Cubs. The Twins travel to Kansas City to face the Royals. And the Cardinals and Marlins complete their series. We'll join that game right here on 1460 KXNO after Barnstormers Weekly, live from Mac Shack in West Des Moines. Stay up to date at KXNO.com and all day long right here on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Live from the Wild Rose Casino and Resort Jefferson Studios, you'd rather be here. This is 1460 KXNO. Ken Miller, Trent Condon. They are Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station. 1460 KXNO. Good afternoon. Welcome in once again. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. Glad to have you aboard with us here on this Thursday morning. No, it is not the old curmudgeon Ken Miller opening the show today. It's my boy, Emery Songer, on the other side. What it is, yo. ES, what is going on? So as we get started today, we're going to get into your White Sox mm. and Lucas Giolito, who has been uh, trying to lead me to a couple of fantasy baseball championships today. We'll talk about his start from last night. Yeah, not too good, including the Grand Slam to get things going by Wilson Contreras. We'll get into that. We'll get into the NBA draft today. We got some Hawkeye talk. Mm. Mark Morehouse is going to be joining us in hour one. MLB talk in hour two with Scott Miller from Bleacher Report. But at the top here, so as we're getting ready for the show in our production meeting, as as you know. It it was an intense production. One of the most intense I've ever been a part of. Well, as you know with Ken and I, that's really what we like to do. I mean, we like to have everything mapped out. Yeah, I mean. I mean, it's nuts. Top to bottom. Really, this whole show is mapped out word for word. It is literally the most thorough show I've ever been a part of. Or the exact opposite. Probably. Yeah, we flip on the mics and we talk, and whatever we want to talk about, we talk about. Yeah, boy. And we, uh, we hit a lot of sports. But we're sitting here, and, and Emery says, I was looking for NBC Sports Network. And I said, NBC Sports Network. Normally, we have ESPN on here. World Cup's going on, Women's World Cup from Which time is to time. On FS1, yeah. Yep, FS1. We jump over there. A Big Ten tournament from time to time. I, back during the baseball tournament, had yep, that on. Yep. But for the most part, it's ESPN, ESPN2. I've never flipped on 
NBC Sports Network. And I, don't even know how the, I don't know even know how this TV even works. You had to show me how that, how the, the TV works. 52.7 on your digital dial here. Okay, so I and I'm I'm very happy that you're able to help me tune this thing on. So Emery, what is going on? We flip it on. It's horse racing. You're a horse racing fan. You do work out of Prairie and you're deep into it. You got the podcast here. Oh, I'm deep. I know very successfully. You got a lot of listeners to that. I'm always impressed when I see your numbers. Thank you. Uh, when I'm uploading and, and I get I, a little envious. I, honestly, I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, it's good. I, I I was surprised at how well it went immediately. I have to give a quick shout out for that podcast to HorseRacingNation.com. It's very successful. Uh, horse racing website that people from all over the world, and especially in the United States, pay attention to for all their horse racing news, and uh, they syndicate the podcast every week. So there, that is where a gigantic chunk of those people are coming from. But yeah, man, it, it's going really well, and this is uh, this is like it's just a weird event. It's called Royal Ascot. So we turn it on, and I see Eddie Olchek. That's the first person I see. The yep. first person I know wearing a top hat. Yes. What, why is he wearing a top hat? Everybody has to. You know, when you, when you go to the Kentucky Derby, it's not necessarily required, but yeah. you are supposed to wear like your seersucker suit with yes. your bow tie or your long tie, and the women wear these fancy hats and sundresses and all this Absolutely. stuff. It is an affair, mm-hmm. right? Well, Royal Ascot is an affair, except it's set in like the 1700s. Okay. And every year, it's basically set in the 1700s. Now, the Queen, Her Majesty, uh-huh. she is a huge horse racing fan, owns a bunch of racehorses that will race in at tracks around the world. Um, and this is her 74th consecutive Royal Ascot she's attended. Wow. And part of the, the pomp and circumstance of this is as the day begins, and they got like seven or eight races, they'll race a day. And the whole day begins. Everybody comes, and it's big. It's a big party, really, is what it is. Just instead of wearing seersucker suits and bow ties and really big weird hats, you're wearing top hats, and you look like you're from the the 1700s. Gotcha. Because that's how old this race course is. Ascot is is Ascot race course. I think they had their first race there in like 1744 or something. So it is a historic place in England. But it starts with what they call the Royal Procession. And it's a bunch of horses <laughs> with four carriages that have a lot of notables, including the Queen herself every single day. Uh-huh. And different. Uh, the first day, the King and Queen of the Netherlands was in the first carriage with the Queen, uh-huh. Her Majesty. And like different people and like Prince and Princess, Harry and Meghan and whatever they are. And uh, so that's kind of fun to watch. And then it's... It's really just four, five days of some of the biggest, best horses from Europe and the United States who fly over there mm-hmm. from all over the world. Uh, they're very lucrative races, much like we have in like Kentucky Derby okay. Day or the Breeders' Cup. And there are four races that are a part of the five-day meet. It's only a five-day. It's like the Kentucky Derby times five, mm-hmm. but that's the only time they really race these, gotcha. these big races at this particular place. And I, I, it's just it's weird. It is. And it, it's I, different. I DVR it at home, and I go back, and I kind of go through it. Uh, the racing is great, but it's really not about the racing itself. There are four races, like I was saying, that are winning your in for Breeders' Cup race. So sure. you win that race, you're into a Breeders' Cup I race. I know that's a big deal. And that is a big deal because it costs a lot of money to enter those races. Mm-hmm. So um, besides those, though, it really just is I want to watch people in top hats and like the <laughs> women wearing weird kind of dress things, and, and they have very fancy hats as well. Yes, I saw that. I saw that. Your uh, friend that you have on the podcast from Brandy time Brittany Erton, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's Saw great. her there uh, as they were going through and getting ready for the next race. So for the people who stayed with us, thank you. Uh, and I'm glad I'm glad you stuck stuck in there, everybody. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Let's get into... You won't forget it. Quote, unquote, the real sports. Whoa! Let's go to Chicago. Okay. And what we saw last night out of your boy, Lucas Giolito, it, it was... 
the buildup was certainly real. Ken and I talked about it really the last couple of days. The, the Game one of this two-game set, I said, well, it doesn't, I mean, go ahead and watch. Ken was excited to watch. I said, the game's going to stink. And, of course, the White Sox went at 3-1. to one. It was a great game. But it was a great game. It was. Why, why would he think it was going to stink? Oh, just because, who started for the White Sox in that game? Uh uh, is it Lopez? No, it was Ivan Nova. Ivan uh, Nova. That was the reason. I, I figured the Cubs He was just... second worst pitcher by ERA yeah. that qualifies in all of baseball. Yeah, And that was the reason. Now, it's baseball. And hey, those kind of things can happen. But he he did his thing, man. But we're not here to talk about two days ago. We're here to talk Why about not? last night. No, Why, no, 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 no. two days ago? No, 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 That no. was a great game. So Lucas Giolito, he's been outstanding. I, I told you at the top, he's on a couple of my fantasy teams. He has been so, so good. So Second best yeah. pitcher in the Na- in the American League this year, as far as I'm concerned, behind Charlie Morton. Yeah, he he absolutely has got to be. He's got to be in that mix. I think he is in the conversation to be the starter in the All Star game, even after last night. Absolutely, still everybody has one very well can be there. But what happened last night? What did you see from Giolito? Everybody's got a clunker, man. It, it was a matter of like you know how many starts in a row that like he'd been like unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It'd been like ten or eleven starts in a row where it's just like. Two runs or less, and like seven innings pitched, and he pitched back to back complete games. And the guy had he had he has ten wins. Yeah, I mean he's he's been unbelievable. He his walks are down. Remember, this is the worst ERA pitcher in all of baseball last year, mm-hmm. Lucas Giolito, and he figured it out. We got to remember he's like twenty four years old, so we yes. we got to keep keep that in the context as well. And it's been fun really watching him and Yoan Mancata and. Um, Tim Anderson and Aloy Jimenez and a lot of these younger guys kind of mature together and there's more of them coming for the White Sox. And it, you know, sometimes you just have a clunker. Yeah. I mean, I mean, your boy Barrios, he's, he's a great pitcher and he's had some clunkers this year. Barrios. Whatever. Barrios. Well, Barrios. It's, the best, it's the best team in baseball and their number one starter. Got to get that one right. Barrios. They cold. Okay, Barrios, Barrios. And we're going to get into your hatred of Eddie Rosario here a little bit. I don't later hate on Eddie today. Rosario. I I hate the Twins in general. That's <laughs> quit quit just making it about Eddie. You, you don't like Eddie. You don't like this team as a whole. But we'll get to that. Last it was just night, a clunker, man. That, that's what I saw too, and, and I certainly did anticipate this. I thought this was going to be more of a four-two type of game than what it turned out to be. But and the White Sox had chances to get back into it and did. help them out too, and they got a first pitch home run, leadoff home run, Leury Garcia, Garcia yeah. uh, who his kind of he was never really on the radar. Is like, oh, you got to watch this guy. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like a holding a spot in the outfield for some of these other prospects. But the way he's been playing this year. You have to look at him and be like, this is an asset. If he's not going to be a part of our team, he certainly could be a part of somebody else's team and get us something in the future. And it was very exciting to see John Lester serve up the first pitch home run ball to Larry Garcia. But little did I know, very little would go right for the rest of the day for us. It got ugly, got out of hand in a hurry. But I mean, even with that, Giolito still had nine strikeouts. He he hung in there. He did. I mean, he gave up four in the first, gave up grand slam to Contreras, and he was able to. At least slow things down a little bit from there. And then Contreras got him again. Yes. Um, but was that in the fourth? Third, yeah, fourth? Yeah. It was, yeah but he, and, and then Bodie hit a home run off of him as well. But here's, here's the thing with what I'm seeing from Giolito. Last year, the, the cards would have folded very quickly, and he would have been out of it by you know, the third inning. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not good for your bullpen arms. Right. And our bullpen has actually been surprisingly pretty good this year. Uh, we have some real... Arms that are major league level relief pitching arms. Which I would like a couple of those arms. I and, mean, and if Colom wants to make his way over to the Twins, I would. Be. I don't think we'll be making any specific deals with Minnesota per se, unless you know certain guys are on the table. But yeah. but they are going to be guys we can move for something later, unless they are younger 
guys like Aaron Bummer, I think, we're probably going to be sitting on for a little bit because you, you we're whenever you got a good lefty reliever that's just mm-hmm. pretty shut down, you got to keep that guy. And Aaron Bummer is that guy for us. But uh, he did a great job, like just putting his head down. He knew it wasn't a great start, and he he dug in there and bought plenty of innings. And we didn't have to eat up more than three bullpen arms to get through last night's unfortunate turn of events. So split the series. Yeah, the, not bad. Play a little later this year. Uh, in a couple weeks, a few weeks, yeah. So, the Cubs, their side of things. It'll be Chatwood on the mound today. Mm-hmm. They called up Alzale. Yeah. Alzale has been uh, a guy that's been talked about, certainly around here a whole lot. Got off to a slow start, had an injury right before at the beginning Just of the season. Getting healthy has been mm-hmm. a big problem for him. He's 24 years old. You know, I, and I don't know, for whatever reason in my mind, and I know... We see some of these hitters come up, the 19, 20-year-old guys. Moncada, one of those guys that's coming up. Pitchers do take a little bit longer, but I don't know. For whatever reason in my mind, I just thought he was more like 22 as opposed to 24. So this is a big-time prospect. Put up good numbers here with the I-Cubs. He's been on a roll. He's going to go up and be part of the bullpen, though, as opposed to going with Tyler Chatwood. Chatwood has been better this year, but he has been a disappointment. Couldn't be worse. Couldn't be. The, the three years, $39 million, it felt like a sunk cost after last season. You were hoping at best he could turn into a stretch-long reliever, a spot starter, and that's what he is right now. But he has been more than that for them this season. But to go there as opposed to Azalea, do you, do you like the decision by the brass from the Cubs to go there and, and give one more opportunity to Tyler Chatwood as a starter? No, I don't mind that at all, and I think it's the right move. And this is this is why. And I mentioned this, uh, I'm a part of the call-up on Fridays here on KXNO with mm-hmm. Ross Peterson and Tommy Birch, and I was the one that said, call this guy up and put him in the bullpen. Yeah. Because what is their number one need? Bullpen. And I know that they want Alzale to be like a starter in the future. Absolutely. But remember, Jeff Samarja turned out to be a pretty darn good starter for them as well. Mm-hmm. And where did he start at the major league level? Uh, how about, there? there's another direction, David Price. What he did for the Rays. He was their closer when they made it to the World Series. Got to the World Series and then turned into a great starter. And a Cy Young caliber starter. Not only that, but another piece to this puzzle that you have to put together is... With young pitchers, the innings limit. And and not just a limit that is put on them, whatever the organization may be. Might Especially be a guy that's injury prone. Yes, it might be 140, 162, whatever it is. But this is a way to keep those innings down, to absolutely get that help of the bullpen that you need without having to go out and spend something that the Cubs don't have much flexibility with. And I'm not like a... This is going to sound... I love baseball, and I love the history of baseball. Mm-hmm. I love where baseball came from. I am not a purist. I'm not a fundamentalist, if you will. I truly think that the opener that the Rays messed around with last mm-hmm. year, there's a, there's room in baseball for that. There's room in baseball for bat flips yes. and, and for pitchers celebrating and for for guys like... Speaking of Tim Anderson. Yeah, but I mean, like I, I think that all that stuff is great and fine with baseball. I also don't think that relief pitchers have to be relief pitchers. Mm-hmm. I really think relief pitchers are just a bunch of arms that you can utilize in one way or another... When you're starting pitchers, which should, in theory, be your five best guys that can give you five or six innings at least, mm-hmm. when they start to tire, any bet, like you want to try to assemble the best arms that you can. And if it's a handful of guys that are usually starting pitchers, sweet. And I know the closer is a little bit different trying mm-hmm. to get those last three outs of a game. You have to have a different mindset, maybe different mechanics. You like to have the, the real hoppy 
95 plus fastball um in the, the case of guys like Chapman and Hicks mm-hmm. you know plus 100 fastball <laughs> right. but at the same time like everybody besides that i mean how many relievers do, do teams carry these days six uh, six, seven, six, eight, six or seven. I mean, it, most teams carry twelve, if not thirteen, pitchers, depending on American League or National League. And, and then it depends on like how they kind of work their AAA guys mm-hmm. with you know how their starters or relievers are doing, and they just try to have as many fresh arms as possible. Why does it matter how many innings a guy can throw? Right. You know, if the guy's a good arm and you can't fit him into the rotation, and he helps your team by being in the bullpen and being available to get an inning or two of work. Well, doesn't that help you? Guys like Andrew Miller, Josh Hader, they can go more than one inning. They, yeah, in theory, I guess they could be starting pitchers, but they're great in just bridging you from the starter to your back in relief. And I think Alzale totally could be that guy. Yes, he this can year be at that least. guy. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want to, I don't think you want to put, certainly not at this point, him becoming a closer or anything like that. There's still so much to be done. Kimbrell's going to be that guy. Yeah. He's going to get uh, tomorrow. I saw Tommy Birch, in fact, uh, tweeted out this morning that. So not today, again tomorrow. tomorrow. Yep, off today. So a couple days off for him. He uh, pitched out in Sacramento, bouncing back. But Kimbrel will be there. Strope then is that eighth inning guy. And then if it's Alzale and you're putting together those pieces, maybe Ch- Chatwood's a part of the, those pieces again. His continued development. You've been able to cob together, cobble together a pretty good bullpen. And Emery, one of the things that I've talked about a lot, and just you know I'm also a huge baseball fan, but how much the game has changed. This isn't over the last my lifetime, 40 years. This isn't over the last 20 years. It's really over the last three or four years. It is a different game. And what about the shifts? Yes, shifts are a huge part of it. But the Launch reg- angle, <laughs> exit velocity, the it's reg- all a big deal. The regular season opposed to the postseason almost are two different games. And getting those 27 outs, and that's what you're trying to do, just get 27 outs. If it's with an opener, you go that direction, and then hopefully the guy's able to get you an inning, an inning and a third, whatever it is, and then your starter comes in and faces the bottom of the lineup, flips over the first time they see him is the second time uh, for the guys at the plate for the top of the lineup. But that aside, the Royals, I I think, really changed this paradigm in baseball about what you want to build in your bullpen. And if you can't do that, the Yankees have taken it to a completely different level. Now, injuries have hurt that this season. as It's hurt that whole team. But when they're healthy, look out. Yes. That bullpen, you don't need six innings out of a starter. You don't Mm. need seven you need four. Yeah. And that's playoff baseball. And the construction of it early on with the off days that are built in, before you get on, you're able to do that with the bullpen. It's the last shot. Now, we've seen the back end of that and some of the bullpen arms that have come back and from Madison Bumgarner and his usage with the Giants in that World Series run to some guys. Uh, you mentioned Chapman a, little, Chapman a little bit earlier, and all of a sudden the injuries that have cropped up with him since the Cubs, for all intents and purposes, ran him into the ground during the World Series run. But that's what it's about, building that bullpen in a way. And I, I think there's now a realistic path for the Cubs not to have a bullpen like the Indians of a couple of years ago or that Royals team, but to at least be in consideration where you have four, five, six arms that you're confident can go out there, get you a couple of outs. And if John Lester only gets you four innings in the playoffs and things aren't looking good, you don't say, well, he's a veteran. we got to get him out for the fifth so he can try to get the win. That doesn't matter. Well, nowadays, I mean, even four innings is a good start for a playoff starter. Yeah. Because... Teams really, 
I mean, they go maximum four guys in the rotation, but we even saw the Yankees not all that long ago go with a three-man rotation mm-hmm. when we got into the playoffs. So, uh, and because of the off days, it's not impossible to think that you could do that. Guys would be on short rest, but when you're only throwing them out there for three, four innings at a time, which is really what we're seeing in the playoffs a lot now, mm-hmm. and that extra starter, you have a couple of really long relievers in there already that can help bridge a couple of innings, and when you come to that real fulcrum of the game, that pivot point where... Really, you know that it was Andrew Miller time a yeah. few years ago with the Indians. It's like when, when this part of the game happens, Andrew Miller, if he's available, he is coming in the game to get the outs. And if that's in the fifth inning, seventh inning, ninth inning, whatever it is, he will be out there to get those important outs. Because it really, those moments in a game can change everything. So when my White Sox, and I relived the White Sox in 2005, that championship run an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Seeing the way that the playoffs unfolded there, you got to remember, in the American League Championship Series in 2005, in games 2, 3, 4, and 5, the White Sox threw four consecutive complete games with four <laughs> different pitchers. That, will that ever happen again? Will I mean, we ever see another complete game we by ta- a pitcher? We talk about baseball's records that'll never be broken from Walter Johnson and Cy Young and some of those ridiculous numbers. Even more recently, Nolan Ryan, but Ricky Henderson and the 134 steals, 132 steals in a single season. Yep. Those things that'll never be broken. No. But that's something that I certainly don't anticipate seeing ever again. I don't know if I'll ever see another complete game in the playoffs, the way that it's going. I think we will. Roy Holiday had a no-hitter, I guess that was about a decade ago, but... You got you to keep in mind yeah. here, Trent, a good start right now for a, play, for, for a pitcher in the major leagues in the playoffs mm-hmm. is five or six innings. Yeah, you get that. That's you're all playing you're with asking. house money. That is all you're asking for from your yeah. starters now in, in baseball. And with the, the advent of the opener and just keeping track of, okay, you don't want to get third time through on a guy. Mm-hmm. You watch Matt Harvey go back out there for the eighth, ninth inning with the Mets in the 2015 World Series, and then he gets lit up. When, when the lineup rolls back over again, I'm telling you, the science of baseball is leaning towards just have five or six guys that can go into a game mm-hmm. and piece together 27 outs so you can win a playoff game. And as recently as 14 years ago in the playoffs, the White Sox, the Angels, the Astros, like those, it was built on starters going seven innings. Not anymore. It's crazy how fast things can change. A different game is upon us. With that, Emery, one more baseball note from yesterday. Uh, my twins got beat. Fine. Watch most of that as I was bouncing back and forth between that. I think they'll be okay. And the Cubs and White Sox, yeah, the, the lead still is monstrous as they're nine games up in the American League Central. But uh, one of my favorite moments, so after the 17-inning game, I stayed up for all of it the night previous. It was a long night, but bounced back and I'm good to go. But they went, brought up a AAA guy, as you always see after those long games. Yep. And Sean Poppin is the kid's name. Mm-hmm. His uh, family, he's got family ties here to Iowa. You know how we love to make any connection possible that we can. Iowans love Iowans. Yes, yes. So the Poppin family was visiting other family here in Iowa. He gets the call up. So the whole family drove up, and throughout the game, he went in first battery face, four-pitch walk. I mean, you could just tell the kid was pumped up. Got a double play, though, afterwards. He was off and rolling. Gave up some runs, hey, whatever. But he got four innings. That's the most important part. After a 17-inning game, that's exactly what you want. Was fine. They lost, whatever. You move on from that. It's 1-162, but... The cutaways that they continued to show of his family, and after he got that double play, you could see his dad right there in the middle. Just that proud moment, seeing your son in his major league debut. Tons of family around. It's a location that you have a lot of family members that can get to. It's not just mom and dad in the stands or whatever it is, or sisters and brothers. It was a big contingent of the Poppin family. So very cool to see. Helped out the bullpen. And uh, though the lead's down to nine, I'm still feeling good about the Twins. Yeah, and... 
you know, just to piggyback off what you just said, it really is, as far as I'm concerned, and you can say this about any sport, I guess, but for me, baseball is the most special. You see your kid take the field with the rest of those mm-hmm. guys, and you are able to watch. You know, I don't have children of my own, but seeing the the glow, mm-hmm. you know, when Jason Hayward homered in his first major league at bat yeah. back however many years ago. Twelve. It's been a while. Uh, his his family was in attendance for that, and I'll never forget their reaction of watching him hit that home run. You know what I mean? So, you know, there's so many different things that you can you can point out about sports, but especially when you get a kid that makes it to the show and it, family is able to be there in attendance, it's got to be a top-notch feeling. Now, speaking of your twins, they are going to have no threat, and no matter how good the White Sox or, or Indians play the rest of the way, I just don't see them being caught. But can we just make sure that we don't say they're the best team in baseball because they are certainly not the best team in baseball. Best record in baseball. I always put that caveat there. Best record in baseball, which makes them the best team in baseball. Stop it. You're, they're not the best team in baseball, and they don't have the best record in baseball. Well, the, finally, they the, got over the Do- taken by the, the Dodgers. Dodgers. The Dodgers have a better record in baseball. But let's let's not talk about the Yankees once they get healthy, how much better they'll be than the Twins. The Astros, come on, if they get healthy, you know they're better than the Twins. Who won the season series? Astros or Twins? Tell me. It doesn't matter. Oh, it doesn't? No. I mean, don't you have to win series to advance in, into the World Series? The Twins went 4 and 3 against the Astros, okay? Took 3 out of 4. You know, the White time the, out. The White Sox took t- took 2 of 4 against the Astros so far. Are you going to tell me that the Astros and White Sox no, are equals? No, no, no. We'll, we'll, di- we'll dive into this a little bit later on. But coming up next, we got some Hawkeye talk coming your way. Going to be talking with Mark Morehouse from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Iowa's recruiting class for football coming in just got a little bit smaller. Jalen Hunt, guy that some people thought maybe could help out on that defensive line as a true freshman. He's not going to be making it to Iowa City. Instead, it's council bluffs for him. You talk about a step down. From Iowa City as an 18-year-old to Council Bluffs, whew, not quite as good. We sh- we, I'm sorry that he had to say that to you, Council Bluffs. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Council Tucky, I love you over there. We'll get a break. Whoa. Coming back with Mark Morehouse coming up next year as we continue on. Miller and Condon, Emery Songer in for Ken Miller today. We're back with Mo- In Hawaii. Welcome back as we continue on here. Miller and Cotton on 1460 KXNO. Got Tyler in there. Tyler, need you to turn down those A-serves right now. As uh, that macro I was telling you about, it fired once again. Something funky always happens after break number one here. Sends it back to network programming. Yeah, well, on Saturdays, I, that's the only time I ever produce on the station. Is yeah. On Saturday mornings for me and Sean's show. And it's not the 8 o'clock hour, mm-hmm. but at 9 o'clock, the second hour. Yeah. At 9.01, precisely, a commercial will fire. Every, Every single, single time. time. Yeah, yeah, isn't that fun? It's weird. Uh, I don't like it. The gremlins inside the uh, monitors and everything else here. Well, we're not here to talk about gremlins. We're here to talk Iowa football as Mark Morehouse joins us from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Mark, uh, today it is Ken Miller out. Emery Songer here with us today. We'll let Emery get some Hawkeye talk in with you. How are things over in the eastern side of the state? Trent, who in the heck is this guy? Tell me who Emery is. I, I, I've not met the new guy. He is a White Sox fan. He is oh. a horse racing oh, aficionado. Bad start. Bad start. Yeah, yeah. Bad he start. loves horse racing like Ken Miller, and he That's produces cool. Van and Bonnie on 1040 WHO. Yeah. All right. Hey, nice to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you, sir. Southern Iowa guy from down in Ottumwa? You got it. Ottumwa, Southern Iowa. So I you're neck of the woods. Ottumwa. Yeah, I worked in a Tumwa. Really? Uh, probably probably covered his dad in high school when he played high school basketball or something. 
Yeah, you didn't definitely didn't didn't cover my dad if you were covering <laughs> high school basketball. <laughs> Mark, uh, some newsy item first to start things off. Jalen Hunt, defensive lineman from Michigan. Michigan State was a, a school that was one of his finalists to pluck him out and away from Sparty. Certainly a big deal on the recruiting front. And a guy I know some people believe maybe had a chance to find a role as a true freshman this year. Not going to be part of the team. Didn't get through the NCAA clearinghouse. He'll go over to Iowa Western. What do you know about Jalen Hunt? And were you of the belief that this is a guy that maybe could find a role for this year's team? Uh, no, uh, no, uh, nobody, no freshman is going to find a role on the Iowa defensive line this year. I'm sorry that they're they are not taking applications. Uh, <laughs> they have their guys. Uh, you know, Trent. So this happens. You know, the academic thing is bites a guy maybe every other year. Uh, Iowa is finally getting some benefit from that, and Davion Nixon, he's going to be eligible this year, defensive tackle, exactly kind of what they need, probably a little, much further down the funnel right now than Jalen Hunt. Uh, I think it's hard. It's a good thing that Jalen Hunt's headed to Iowa Western. Iowa seems to have a really good relationship with uh, Coach Strohmeyer out there. Coach Strohmeyer's program is, uh, uh, Scott's program is terrific. It's something I would love to be able to get to that side of the state and write a story about eventually at some point. But uh, I think that's a good sign. I think I, I think uh, Jalen's probably a developmental guy, 265-pound uh, piece of tackle. Probably needs about 20 more pounds. Okay, so when we talk about this, it, the defensive line not taking applications, I think uh, I saw a poll. I can't exactly remember which poll it was. Everybody's got a poll these days, and we're still <laughs> a ways out. But I saw a poll have Iowa as a preseason number 10. And is the defense routinely is – pretty legit i mean we we know that there's going to be some big name guys especially up front we know that the offensive line is full of tanks every single year they do a great job of pumping those guys out uh we have some familiar names returning at the skill positions and uh some additions may not see the field this year but like oliver martin you know whether he plays this year or not i mean to have him in the back pocket of the iowa football program you know that you got some dudes here um I just feel 10 is super lofty early on uh, for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Can you try to talk me into them being a top-10 team in the nation? I'm not the right guy for that. I'm I'm more the guy who will talk you into a nice spot at number 23. Can I interest you in number 23? <laughs> 20, 23 uh, I can buy. I, yeah. I, I think that's a solid value there at 23. There you go. There you go. Uh, 10 is too high. But but if you, I think it was a uh, pro football focus poll, I think. Yeah, there, I there you go. I can't keep up with all of them. I can't keep up with all those things because in the summer people just kind of type one into Twitter and throw it out there and all of a sudden it gains some traction. Uh, it looks like they put some thought into it. It makes sense. You know, there are a lot of, uh, Athlon had what, four Iowa preseason All Americans? So if a team has four preseason All Americans, probably a good chance that someone might see that and say that's a top 10 team. But, you know, Trent knows. You, Emory, you've seen them enough. Uh, it, it's not quite there yet. And they did. This, the losses were significant. And that is, you know, it's going to be probably with Kirk Ferentz's, you know, the, the final nine holes of his career, the back nine, early entries is going to be something that marks it. And are, you can argue that it already has. Uh, the, the pinstripe bowl team, if they would have kept Josh Jackson and James Daniels, well, then last year would have been tremendous. If la- this year's team would have kept Anthony Nelson, the tight end brothers and uh, Amani Hooker. Wow, yeah. you're talking a legit top ten team. So I think there's probably get, people are going to smell that a little bit and see what kind of players are walking through right now. And I will might get a little bit overhyped this year, but schedule. And I think people who follow the program very, very closely understand. Trent knows 
This team has work to do every year. I mean, right now the running game still needs to be stretched out quite a bit. Well, I, I, the reason I think that's a legit poll is because Iowa State was number twenty-one, and that's the highest I've seen them so far. Yeah, and I'm, I'm that's fair. I'm, ab- fair, I'm about absolutely. that. I'm about that life with the Cyclones. Yeah, that, that's. I think that's fair for Iowa State. I think uh, on paper this year's Cyclone game should be tremendous. And right now, somehow Iowa always ends up being favored, and Jack Trice, I can't go there this year. Iowa State's going to be favored in that game, I think, by three. There's a couple of opening lines that have already been out, those games of the year that have been released. I think the Golden Nugget had Iowa State favored by two and a half. Another casino in Vegas had it as a pick Normally, you get the, even when Iowa State maybe should be a slight favorite, there's a little bit of a bump. Iowa more of a national program, and because of that, sometimes there is a stretch that way. But I'm with you, Mark. I think Iowa State should be a slight favorite in this game under a field goal. I think that two-and-a-half number probably right. It's going to be a great game and two great defenses. And, and that kind of goes hand-in-hand here with the Iowa schedule. You brought that up. So I had this argument. I was having a bar argument last week, as you can imagine, Mark, as I like to do, have some beers and then start arguing with sports. As long as it doesn't end in squad cars, Trent, all good. All good (laughs) there. All good there. My fighting days are over as I approach my 40th (laughs) year here on the earth. So uh, we're going back and forth about this. So as we remember, the 2015 team, 12-0 regular season. If they beat Michigan State, they're in the college football playoff at 13-0 still as probably the number 4 seed, even with that perfect record. I argued, though, that this year, if Iowa goes 11-1, and they lose one of the five road games that they have. Iowa State, they go to Michigan, they go to Nebraska, Northwestern, Wisconsin, three heavy heads from the West with them. But if they go 11-1 and with that schedule, then beat whoever comes out of the East at 12-1 and with this year's schedule, Iowa will be in the college football playoff, and this person just couldn't believe it because Iowa, quote unquote, always gets screwed when it comes to this kind of stuff. Twelve and one with the schedule Iowa has this year, they're in the college football playoff, right, Mark Morehouse? I'm with you on that. Just it, just because of this, uh, the Big Ten has been screwed out of the college football playoff the last couple years. Yeah, Ohio State's been kind of uh, flawed, and and uh, Michigan. It looked like it was going to be Michigan last year, and Ohio State stole all that away. Uh, so so. The Big Ten has kind of been nudged out, so I think uh, this year the Big Ten will get some grace that way. Um, it, it also, the other factor, Trent, that would come in there, when does Iowa's one loss come? If it's a November loss, probably don't recover from that. If Iowa loses to Iowa State, it, your scenario, if everything breaks right, obviously. But, yeah, that's, that's something I could see playing out if Iowa hits an all-cylinder. Well, sports. and the fashion, too. I mean, Ohio State, you mentioned them, 55-24, the woodshed over in Kinnick last year, Purdue. They lose 49-20. If Iowa is 12-1, but that one loss is at Michigan, and they lose 60-12, to they're not getting it either. No, exactly. And and what would be the consolation prize for 12-1? Well, one, the Iowa fans will uh, uh, be trotting around a Big Ten title trophy. Mm-hmm. That'd be, you know, that'd be, that would be significant for this program. Hasn't shared last Big Ten title, 2004. So it would still, you know, 12-1 would be a little bit bitter 12-1. Wouldn't be able to check the probably the college football box, but Oh my goodness! A lot of great trophies from that season. I don't think anyone would care. Okay, so you mentioned this Iowa State game really is going to set the table for what could happen, especially considering that for the first time in a long time, people will see this as a legitimate quality win early in the season if the Hawks can go on the road and pick up a win in Ames. But as we we've talked about, I mean, ad nauseum on this station, you know, between these two schools, the the hype machine 
around Matt Campbell's Iowa State program is taking a little bit of shine off of Kirk Ferentz in this this Hawkeye program, which in real, if we're going in reality based, and I think Trent could agree with me on this, the last four or five years have been as good Iowa football has ever had it, but a lot of people in the state are just like, look out for these Cyclones because they're you know they're making some noise now. What does Iowa have to do? How many wins will it take? What kind of drubbing of the Cyclones will it take for people to really appreciate what Iowa has accomplished the last few years? Uh, is it that Big Ten championship game appearance and maybe getting that trophy at the end of the season? Uh, it would probably take that, but I, I don't think Iowa State fans care what Iowa does, and uh, I think it's going to be it's going to be bitter. And I, I think maybe the biggest thing right now, I think what you're kind of getting at, Emery, is uh, uh, the the what Iowa State and what Jamie Pollard has done in the Des Moines market. I mean, it's taken over. Iowa is reacting to that very late. They're trying to get you know, you guys have a uh, the Hawk Central thing on. Mm-hmm. And I, that's a special that's a special delivery. And I, I I call up Iowa. I don't get that. That's because I'm in Cedar Rapids and I'm in what I think they I will probably consider uh, safe territory. Iowa, the University of Iowa is not going to lose Cedar Rapids to Iowa State. So uh, we're you know they don't have to work to keep us. Uh, Des Moines market. Well, that's where a lot of money is in Iowa now. That's where a lot of population and people are. And guess who's right there? And Ames is the cyclone. So uh, it's becoming more and more of a cyclone market just because of proximity. I think there's a lot to say to that. And uh, I think that's probably right now the biggest thing that, you know, Iowa kind of faces is just the market, which market's livelier, which market is kind of appreciated. And I think at Iowa State, you know, Ames and Iowa State fans are kind of along for the ride here. And it's a good bandwagon right now. Uh, they're winning and, and going to bowls and challenging for, to get to the Big 12 uh, title game. So uh, their, their benefit is that Iowa feels that heat. And maybe a few more people are staying in Ames uh, and go, staying in Jack Trice and staying in Des Moines or going to Jack Trice because, you know, it's it's a friendly market and uh, the cycle is it's inexpensive as opposed to driving over to Iowa City. And uh, it's entertaining football. Matt Campbell has certainly shown that. All right, Mark. Uh, yesterday I got a press release, as you did, from the University of Iowa, talking about enhancements for the game day experience, effort to improve ticket sales. These are the kind of things that takes me a couple of times to read through. You know, the general press release we get during the during the summertime, you can flip through those. Oh, it's an Athlon one, three, four All-Americans for Iowa, those kind of things. This one goes a little bit deeper. Have you been able to pick through it? I know the Gazette has an article uh, up over at thegazette.com, but it wasn't you who wrote it. It was Vanessa Miller. Why'd you stay out of the fray here? Uh, I just didn't come across my desk. Oh, okay. I usually do football stuff. Uh, to me, this sounds like they're just going. It's an RFP for a bid to for a better ticketing process or just a more efficient ticketing process. And it also sounds like uh, Iowa right now, Iowa doesn't really have a customer care, and it sounds like that that's something, or at least their customer care is more undefined and is something that uh, uh, needs some attention. I, in my opinion, I, I asked Bart of that a few years ago. He had a press conference at Carver and. Uh, to me, customer care, customer service is something that they were kind of lacking, and, and he kind of sort of said he admitted that, but they're getting toward that, and I think they know they need to. And, you know, a couple of things I would do, I, w- I would deeply do some qualitative research on some uh, what fans want because it it's really seems shattered anymore. And I think any, I think right now for fans, 
be be nimble in uh, uh, the, the kickoff times because they're all over the map. And yeah. I think this is the way it's going to be going forward. Uh, and I think it's it's up to fans to figure out how to make some of that work. Final thing for you, Mark Morehouse joining us from the Gazette. Had an opportunity to talk to a couple of the players earlier this week. Give us your biggest takeaway as you got to hear from Epinesa, Stanley, and a few others over in Iowa City. Well, I asked uh, I asked uh, AJE the uh, NFL question kind of a one or two rounds ago, player interview wise, and I could feel the life drain out of him, <laughs> and I felt immediately felt bad. And I think we've reached the point now where we can't really ask these the, the, the people who cover the team regularly can't really ask AJ Epinesa and Tristan Wirfs and whoever else might be in the possible NFL early entry uh, uh, wave. We can't really ask the NFL question anymore because. It, it, you're not going to get any further with it. It's mm-hmm. kind of a, a dead horse. We'll figure out that when December rolls around. There's not going to be no, there. There aren't, there's not going to be any news right now. So you want to keep those guys talking. I think uh, uh, one thing I, I did get a chance to talk to Kirk Ferentz last night at uh, down in Nubo in Cedar Rapids. Uh, running back, uh, Trent. I can't get past running back. To me, it's the most fascinating. Uh, uh, that that situation is the most fascinating position of the team right now. Six guys. Uh, one a little bit of research Ferris sent me to do was uh, 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 Mackay Sargent's 159 carries are the fewest for an Iowa leading rusher. They didn't really get to see those guys last year. Um, they, Iowa was more of a passing team last year. So they really don't know quite what they have at running back. I think they want a faster, a quicker running back out of the blocks. They want a quicker running game out of the blocks. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But to me, Trent, that's, that's my nerd out position of the summer. I'm going to be thinking about that one a lot. I love it when Mark Morehouse nerds out. Mornings with Morehouse here on KXNO. <laughs> and we will uh, continue our conversations throughout the summer and into the fall. Mark, great catching up with you as always. Thanks, Mark. You bet. Take, take, take care, you guys. Nice meeting you, Emery. Yeah, nice meeting you too. Mark Morehouse from the Gazette. Thegazette.com is where you can find all the summer projects for Mark Morehouse and uh, always enjoy our conversations. He's so, not, Emery? He, he's not wrong. I mean, Iowa State is totally annexed Polk County. Yes. It's the conversation so different. So I grew up in North Iowa in the 80s. Iowa State, even though Ames was actually closer to where I grew up than Iowa City, is non equity. Mm-hmm. It just was. There were. In At least town, in sports, yeah. In a town of 4,000, 3% of the population maybe was Iowa State fans. It was all Iowa because of WHO mm-hmm. and that pull from going back to the 50s coupled with the basketball network that was built in the early 80s with Ludolson and what that became. I've said this before, but for a sports fan with three channels living in a town, a small town without really any friends that had cable or satellite or anything like that, it was Thursday nights back then. It was Iowa basketball. And then when they played out over the weekend, that was it. That was the sports that you got, the local sports that you got. And because of that, people up there. Then when I went to college and went to Iowa and just – Iowa State, it wasn't a rivalry. It wasn't looked at the same way. This market here is so completely different than pretty much any other market here in the state because of that, because of the stranglehold that is there. And then you put the proximity to Ames, what that athletic department, what Jamie Pollard has done over his 15-year run at Iowa State, what they did with Dan McCarney and building them and pulling them out of the doldrums of college football, taking over from Jim Walden. It's... The environment is so different, and so much credit has to go to Iowa State for being able to do that. It's going to be one of those things that, how is it sustainable? Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, the football program is king. I don't care. Syracuse 
you'll never tell me Syracuse is a football school in post 2000 United States. Yeah. Ever since Donovan McNabb left. Yeah, no. It hasn't been pretty. Yeah. But they go to a different conference based solely on what it will do for their football program, mm-hmm. right? It's king. No matter how good or bad your, pro, your, your school is, if you play football, football is king, especially in a Power 5 conference, and Iowa State is in a Power 5 conference. So I understand that the Matt Campbell thing, every year it's going to come up. Is he staying or mm-hmm. is he going? And they keep extending him and giving him more money. And we're never going to know until we know, right? Yeah. I mean, he could... The only person who really knows is Matt Campbell, and it, he seems to be, take these things and, and keep it pretty close to the vest what he wants to do. But no matter what happens after Matt Campbell, he has turned Iowa State into a job to have. That you can win there. And, and you, he's proving that you can be a relevant college football program. here mm-hmm. on the top 25 on almost every poll yeah. preseason. Three years ago, that would have been absolutely insanity mm-hmm. for Iowa State to show up on any's top 25 poll. And here we are a couple, three years later, you know, guys like Kyle Kempt <laughs> leading the way, right? And here here we are with Iowa State being ranked in the top 25 preseason with All-America caliber players on both sides of the ball, uh, a head coach that's really energetic and one of the best coaches in the country by almost every account. And if and when he decides like, he wants to take his talents to the next level and be an NFL head coach, which sounds like his his ultimate goal, mm-hmm. somebody else who is an up-and-comer or somebody else who's an established name is going to want to lead this program and keep it as good as it is right now, like Steve Prohm did with the Hoiberg Cyclones. Got to get that higher right. That's going to be an important one, be it one year down the line, ten years down the line, whatever it is. Maybe never, hopefully. That, Fingers that, crossed. That is the hope. We're going to get a break here. Coming back on the other side and a few news and notes to get into NBA draft coming up this evening. Oh, I can't wait. Taylor Horton Tucker, where is he going to go? We'll get into that and dive into it as we continue. Miller and Condon on 1460. Your business. All right, welcome back as we put a cap on our number one. Miller and Condon on KXNO. Emery Songer in for Ken. Tomorrow, going to be out at in Altoona. As uh, we'll be broadcasting live from 10 until noon here from the Hawkeye Heaven Golf Tournament, benefiting the University of Iowa Children's Hospital. Excited to be out there. Jeff Horner, no, he's going to be out there. He's going to stop by, talk with me for a while. Tim Dwight, Davian Banks, a few other former Hawkeyes going to be there. Should be a great time, and hopefully the weather holds because need to get some golfing in, Emery. Man, I uh, went out a few times last week or so, mm-hmm. and I'm telling you, man, there's just nothing like Getting some holes in. Yeah, I know. Especially especially when the temp it's the temperature. Yeah. It's you know, I don't want it to be wet, but I like it hot. I, I the temperature's gotta be right. And I'm like seventy five to eighty degrees is like the perfect window for me. Eighty five. I, I like could to get I, a little sun. I, I actually You have a little fairer complexion than I do. I, but I would also prefer hotter than colder. Yeah. But still if it like I went out on Monday mm-hmm. and the temperature was Perfect. Beautiful day. It was unbelievable. Going to be a little bit different, it sounds like, tomorrow, though. Good luck. Thunderstorms on the way, but I'll be out there. Good luck. Stop by Terrace Hills. I want to meet some Hawkeyes. Afterwards, we'll have a silent auction with some items. Got a signed jersey, an authentic jersey from Desmond King. Ooh. Signed helmet from Josie Jewell. A couple other items up at our silent auction. So it should be a good time. Out in Altoona, we'll be live from 10 until noon. So, Every is uh we get ready for tonight NBA draft at the forefront. Foregone conclusions, Zion will go number one. Pelicans. 
also with the fourth pick, and that's where most people feel kind of the draft's going to start where I think there's a few more questions of what's going to happen there. On the local front, though, Taylor Horton Tucker, a guy that, as he came out, announced his decision to, to go after one season, saw a lot of projections, top 20 range, something like that, then eh, maybe late first round, and now it's pretty much all second round picks. You know, Ken brought up, I, I thought, an interesting point yesterday. I want to get your perspective on this. Taylor Horton Tucker doesn't seem like the Iowa State fan base quite as enamored with him as some of the past guys that have gone on, and even guys that weren't there for three or four years. What do you think the reason behind that is? Because it just, you look at Twitter, there hasn't been, oh, I love Taylor, these kind of things. That fan base at Iowa State and Iowa State basketball, how much they love their guys, doesn't seem to be the same kind of love. Well, here's my theory. And I'm an Iowa State fan, mm-hmm. and I'm there. I, he was kind of a surprise. Yeah. Right? So, like, that's that's the interesting thing about this. I, I He's going to go in the second round. He's not the super, a super athletic guy. He's long. He's strong. Somebody's going to make a project out of him. But he was not a highly touted prospect, and I think that's why people are just like, you want to leave after one year? I mean, come on, man. Yeah. All right, fine. Go have a fun career. Get into the draft a little bit more. We got baseball talk. We got to hash out. Emery's hatred for the Minnesota Twins. The best record in the American League coming back.